Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Rachel Brill. Before we get to that, I want to tell you that you can reach me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Write me. Say some nice things. Don't say bad things. I don't need that in my life. (laughs) But uh, if you want to uh, ask me about anything, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, or you know somebody who will be a a great guest on the show, let me know. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Our website is, of course, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. You can see articles that I've written and some of the guests have written. You can see photos of the guests. You can see links to all their social media and links to all our social media as well. Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter and Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. There are links on our website to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe to this show. And, of course, iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, why not give us a good rating, huh? That boosts our presence. That's a cool thing. If you can do it, I'd appreciate it. Okay, Rachel Brill is someone I met through a mutual friend we have. And she was nice enough to stop by right before she hopped on a plane to uh, catch a red eye back to Miami. So I appreciate her coming by. I really enjoyed my conversation with her. She's got a great story. If you want to follow along with her travels, she's at Eat, Pray, Climb on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I was amazed to find out that she's been doing most of her traveling just in the past year. 2015 was an incredible travel year for Rachel, and I have a feeling the next few years are going to be as well. So please enjoy my talk with the lovely and charming Rachel Brill. Rachel Brill, thank you so much for coming because I know you're uh, busy today because you're taking a red eye. Yes, I'm taking a red eye to my favorite place in the United States. Miami. Miami. Why is that your favorite place? Because you're an L.A. native, right? I am an L.A. native. I went to the University of Miami, so I'm a hurricane. So how does a, uh, a nice L.A. Valley girl go to the University of Miami? Why did that happen? I had three factors in going to college. It was one, a really strong broadcasting film and television program, two, a championship football team, and three, a championship <laughs> baseball team. <laughs> okay, now, so joke. doesn't like USC have all those things? Um, they do, but that's my backyard. Yeah, you had you to don't get away. Stay home. Okay, so like, what part of the valley did you grow up in? Uh, Woodland Hills. Okay, so this is always fascinating to me. Uh, growing up and I grew up outside of Chicago. So I didn't know anything about California Valley, but always this like this magical place growing up to me. And I I was just thinking about it this weekend because I saw uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Uh which uh, they had a big, you know, party at the Wiltern. They were showing it. But I remember watching it because it's been a while since I've seen it. But how like that was the valley to me, like that movie. And uh, I remember seeing people with like indoor, like underground, like in-ground pools. Yes. And to me, that was like, because anywhere I grew up, if you had an in-ground pool, you were like killing it. You know, that was like huge. And then I was like, wait, they all work in like fast food joints, but yet they go home (laughs) and they have an in-ground pool. It just didn't make sense. It's like everybody must have them there. And to me, growing up and seeing an on top of ground pool for the first time. (laughs) I know. You're like. I'm like, what is that? That's so weird. Why would you do that? Why would you build it above ground? Um, yes, I had an in-ground pool because the valley is so bleeping hot. Woodland Hills, I think, and even is the hottest part of it, right? Woodland I have a friend Hills, who lives out there. Woodland Hills is at the northern end of the bowl, which is called the valley. And yes, so we get all the hot air. There's no yeah, wind. No sea breeze. There's nothing. no breeze whatsoever. It just sort of sits there. And it's like 110 degrees. So every day you're swimming or you're at the beach. Yeah, but you grew up with that and you decided, you know what? This heat isn't enough. I need some humidity. I need some really <laughs> sticky, awful humidity. 
let me find a swamp on the other side of the... Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. My mother is a Floridian. She's oh, okay. from Central Florida. So, Ooh, what, what town? Because um, my family lives there now. Well, she's from south of Orlando. What town? What town? Winter Park. Okay, yeah. My parents live in Sebring. Now, okay. or my, mom li- my mom and sister live in Sebring. I know Sebring well. Why? Sebring is in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Bless my grandmother. I love her to death. It's in the middle of the orange groves, but there is the Sebring racetrack. Yes. So one weekend a year. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the one interesting oh, thing going on. Don't get me started. That's a whole other show. <laughs> so you go there. I'm assuming yes. you'd have been to Florida before you went. Many, many times. Okay. Yes. So you, that didn't put you off? No, I... I can't say that I had enough foresight to say I want to go as far away as humanly possible. Right. But that is what I chose to do. And having family close enough in Florida made it a little bit more palatable for my parents to say, we're just going to ship you off to to Miami. Um, Had they seen the campus and how beautiful it was and what a party school it was, (laughs) they might have reversed that that decision, but it was too late. uh, Yeah, I've always, what I knew about it, because like, again, being a football fan, I knew about Mm -hmm. it that way, but I didn't know it was like this little, you know, private school in the middle of Miami. And then the football team is like its own entity. They're like, they're in their world. And then there's the rest of the school. Pretty much, sort of like my first year of college, I was part of that entity that is the football program, and I never went to class. <laughs> what were you doing? You were. I was working two a days, so I moved on to campus a month before school opened as a freshman, and I was. So the whole reason I wanted a good football and um, baseball team is because I was an athletic trainer. Okay. And my goal was to literally grew up thinking I want to produce the Olympics and the Super Bowl. Those are the two things that to me are the pinnacle of a broadcasting career. I didn't know at the time that television is so different from feature film, is so different from broadcasting and news and sports journalism, and reality didn't exist at the time. But once I got settled in, I was an athletic trainer in high school for my football and baseball team, and I segued that into becoming a young student athletic trainer for the Miami Hurricane baseball, football, and tennis teams. Okay. So I moved to campus early. I hung out with the football team. This made you horribly unpopular <laughs> with men there, I'm sure. And actually, I had a boyfriend. This, a is, why, boyfriend. this is why I can't have a daughter, ever. <laughs> I got red flags all over this whole thing. <laughs> the football and baseball team were much more important than like the sorority and Greek system mm-hmm. on campus. But um, it was challenging because two-a-days and... The football program was so encompassing of your time that there was not a whole lot of time for studies. And I, I was away from home. I was in Miami. You know, I didn't do that well. I was put on academic probation my, my freshman year. Oh, weren't we all, though, in some way? You cleaned yes. it up, though. Did it take did. four years, or were you on the five, six-year plan? I was plan? on the five-year plan. Had a girl, more sure. Good, more good reason for that, but mm-hmm. I was on the dean's list my, my fifth year. So, so you turned it around. I did. Okay. Um, so we should tell people what you do. We, we didn't mention. what. Yes. You, what is your title? Well, my You're title, in the biz. My, I am in the biz. I am in the biz. I was a producer for 11 years, then I was a network exec at TNT and TBS for four years, and now I'm the head of premium programming at a digital studio. And we just found out before you sat down that you came into TBS and, and Turner right before, right when I left. Yes. So I, I opened I the door. I left the door open <laughs> you for you did. to walk in. Yes. <laughs> you did. And somebody at the end of, uh, or at the beginning of 2015 kicked me out, and <laughs> I opened the door for somebody else. So we're okay. paying it forward. Yes. And we have a mutual <laughs> friend in uh, my good friend, Pete Schwaba. Uh, he do. introduced us. So yes. what did you guys work on together? So I was at a production company called Zoo Productions, and we were rooted heavily in the cable, unscripted reality space, comedy. And he worked, I honestly, I don't remember what show he worked on. It wasn't the sports soup thing, was it? Mm, no, we didn't do that. Okay. But we did a ton of programming for MTV and True TV and oh. Core TV. And um, our biggest show was Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Okay. So- <laughs> Got it. But at some point, he came through the zoo doors. I was there for 11 years, and we met, and I must have made some sort of impression. (laughs) (laughs) So employment or lack of employment was kind of the reason you've gotten around the world a little bit, to get it all around to travel here. So you left Turner in 2015? I left Turner in the beginning of 2015. Now, give me a rundown of all the places you've been in just in, in 2015 alone. 
So, um, I, well, I started the year on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Right. I was there exactly two years ago. I think this week, two years ago. Life-altering. Wasn't it great? Life-altering. We'll get to that in a second. Yes. Okay, where else? Um, so I started there from uh, the mountain. I came down. I went to Zanzibar to go diving. That's what I did. In the Indian Ocean, which is awesome. And then from there, I flew to Paris to meet my parents. Um, flew in an hour after Charlie Edbo, which is oh, a whole nother side wow. story. From there, I got on a train and went to the French Alps and skied Val d'Isere because I'm a skier. And then from there, oh my God, I did a lot in the States. I did Nashville, Orlando, Miami, uh, New York City, uh, Houston. Were these mostly seeing friends and, and uh, Mostly family? seeing friends, weddings, parties, house hunting, that kind of stuff. Um, house hunting for yourself? House hunting for my family. Oh, they're, are they... Uh, they're all here. Oh, they're all here, they're but all they're going to leave? They're, they're going to leave and go back to the East Coast or go to the East Coast. They're going to cash out? Yes. Done? They're done with California. Oh, and leave show business? <laughs> yes. Were they in the business, done. your parents? No, no. Oh. Very, very different industries. They, they couldn't dissuade you from going into it? Um, into the family business? No, into, uh, I don't know. I was, I'm fascinated by people who grew up out here mm-hmm. and the show business is just like, like if, like where I grew up to say you wanted to be in show business, they looked at you like you were like, Crazy. say you wanted to go like to Mars. Yeah. Like nobody does that. That's not a job. But here it's like, oh yeah, I can talk to the neighbor down the street. He works for Paramount. You know, <laughs> it's like. Well, I think they couldn't dissuade me because when I was in fifth grade, I wrote a report that said, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. And it said, I'm going to be a producer and I'm going to go to law school. Two a day. In case I fail. (laughs) Sports weren't in there. But I've just been very headstrong. I'm a very independent person. And I think they probably just wanted me to chase my dreams. Got it. Thank you, mom and dad. Yes. (laughs) How nice of them. Um, brothers and sisters? Uh, younger brother, married four kids. Four? Four children. They started at the age of 26. They didn't waste any time. They did not waste any time, and they're precious. My oldest nephew is um, nine, and he's a competitive gymnast. Wow. Yeah. Competitive? Competitive gymnast. That's the... Now, that's... Uh, I had a cousin who did that in Connecticut, and that is like... Uh, that's a commitment. I mean, it's a lot of driving to different meets, and yes. then they grow up, and then they get yeah. bigger, and then they kind of... Yes. If they're tall, it's really tough on them. Uh, he's not going to be tall, so that's... Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so he's got that <laughs> going for him. So he picked the right sport. He has that going for him. And his mother, my sister-in-law, is the most amazing person in the world, and she's committed to letting him chase his dreams, too. So so there's enough kids around where they're like, you know what? Yes. Let Rachel go around the world. Pr- pretty much. Okay. And then I come back, and then they get inspired. So Kilimanjaro was life-altering for me. My nephew, the competitive gymnast, has said that at the age of 10... He wants to go to Kilimanjaro. I promised him I would take him at 16. Okay. So he has another six years to go. Okay. But. Well, let's let's talk about Kilimanjaro because yes. I went there two years ago and I don't know. I did the uh, the route with the hut. So I did the Marengo route. Okay. I did Which Lemosho. is five days, which is short. <clears throat> and everybody, all the experts said it was too short. Uh-huh. And people think, when well, you tell people that, they go, oh, you want to do the short one. I go, no, you really don't because it's too fast. And... Um, there was 10 of us in our group, and nine of us peaked, and one guy just uh, keeled over. On and, summit night? Ah, uh, summit night, yeah. Mm. And uh, we just left him behind, and he ended up making it, <laughs> he ended up making it to the, um, the first ridge there. I can't okay, remember. yeah, the first false, the, uh, false summit. Yeah, and uh, we Stella couldn't even point. believe that. We couldn't believe he made it up mm. that far. Like, is it Thompson? Stella, Stella Point is the first no, fall summit. There's, yeah, there's that one. That was in the middle. But the first one we went to, ah, I can't remember. No. Yeah. That's going to bug me. Anyway. I was in a catatonic state the entire time. Were I you? I don't remember. I think I, bla- I physically blacked out for about four hours of my summit. Did you bring the, uh, did you take Diamox or any of that? I did not. Me, me either. So no. there was like seven of us took it. They gave me one pill on the summit night because I was really feeling like I was, you know, I felt like I was going to heave like four times. Uh-huh. But I didn't, so maybe it worked, and maybe the, I just didn't need it, or I think maybe you're supposed to take it way before. You're supposed to start. So I probably at a, didn't do anything. You're supposed to start low altitude. Yeah. And half of our group started low altitude. The other half started summit night. Every single person in my group that took Diamox got sick. I did oh, really? not take Diamox. I didn't get sick at all. Okay, so that was the when I describe it to people because I don't know how you describe it. You go, oh my god, how did you do? And I'm not a technical tri- climber. All I've known is all I know you is from your Facebook. So yes. I've seen you taking, 
more like you've done rope training and stuff yes. like that. I haven't done any of that. Yes. So, I mean, but I hike a lot. So I, I mm-hmm. people ask me how hard it was. I said, it's not really a technical climb. It's just uh, the altitude is what gets you. So it hit me at about 15,000 feet is when I finally started to our last camp for the night summit yep. was uh, the Kibo camps were about 15,000 feet. And then once we got to that camp, that's when I started like, uh, and you don't want to eat. Yep. You know, this... but you have to eat to keep your strength up and you can't sleep. And it was, that was the hard one. Well, the hardest part for me was I, I got a massive, massive migraine or headache or something like my head was oh, going to yeah. explode around 12.5. Oh, 12.5. And I was in so much excruciating pain. Everybody's trying to help me. I'm like, just get the fuck away from me. <laughs> I need to be by myself. I didn't realize it was going to be so easy for me to literally just drink a liter of water, take two Advil. I slept it off. I didn't go to lunch that day. And then a couple hours later, I woke up and we did our afternoon acclimatization hike up to 13.5. Okay. And I was totally fine. And that's the only effect that I really had. But I think that that's half of my problem of why I think I am now invincible. Right. And I can climb the seven summits and I can do these big um, technical climbs and these high altitude climbs because I really I didn't have any effects of altitude sickness. For me, getting to the summit was tiring because I probably wasn't in good enough shape, even though I was in great shape. It's just to, to, to have the calves and the muscles to not die out. They sort yeah. of were dying on me. Oh, really? And that's how it was excruciating. It was literally just my calves and then my limbs were frozen. Like I couldn't feel my fingers. Okay. But um, Yeah, for me, it was not that stuff. I didn't have that stuff and my, my legs were fine. Mm-hmm. I started feeling it more on the way down when you're going down to the scree mm-hmm. because you get to, there's all that sense of relief when you get to the peak and you snap your photos and yep. everybody's hugging and crying. Yep. And then you look and you go, oh, hell, we got to walk down now. And then we got to get yeah. back down. It was four hours back down to the camp. And, you know, you're using different muscles now going down. And that's that loose gravel that Mm -hmm. that's when I started to burn. I did not. I I literally had the worst day of my life coming down from the summit. So my problem was I brought four GoPros with me. I had my laptop. I had my reality show. Like easy there. I was I traveled to Kilimanjaro by myself. I met up with a random tour expedition company. Who did you work with? Uh, It's called Ultimate Kilimanjaro. Okay. And it's a guy who now is based in LA. His name is um, Kevin, and he's fantastic. He uh, he, just everybody that they had from the porters to the guides to my own personal porter. And yes, I did have my own personal porter who's sort of like my cameraman. But I was <laughs> I was so focused on what they don't tell you on, on the summit of Kilimanjaro to me that would have been life changing is that you have to um, sleep in the afternoon. You eat lunch, you go take a nap, you wake up, you eat dinner, you take another nap, and then you start summiting at 11 p.m. and you hopefully get to the top of the mountain around 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m. so you can watch the sunrise. Yeah. That was the epic nature of climbing on New Year's Eve because we were going to be on top of the world. Or oh, you did it the, New Year's Eve? I did it New Year's okay. Eve. So we were on top of the African world on New Year's Day 2015. It was just the most epic occasion for that but i didn't sleep at all during those nap segments before summit night no, none of so, us do i can I tell you you're not alone on this one I, I i i felt like everybody else was but i was like prepping my camera gear and making yeah. sure my batteries were charged and just doing stupid things that for me was important i didn't know that everything was going to freeze once i got up there so it's like it was all shot to shit anyway <laughs> my iphone that was, was my camelback froze <laughs> Yeah. Like my water froze, which I needed more than right. anything because I was I ran out of water. At well, the peak. And they tell you you're not allowed to have Camelbacks because the tube freezes, which it does. But yeah. like my Nalgene bottles froze, too. And they were in two socks, like buried in my backpack. <laughs> um, but I like everything froze except for my iPhone that I am gifted with a large chest. So I sandwiched my phone between <laughs> my boobs and my 15 layers. And my phone was not frozen at the top. And I used that to take some photos. <laughs> they recommend that but... for the guidebooks, by the way. <laughs> When going at high altitude, try to have large uh, bosom. It helps. Store it helps all your you, valuables. It helps, you, it helps if you can put it in your, your right. hold. Child, whatever you need to. Um, but on, on summit night, so I was 
walking at such a slow pace that the entire group went ahead without me. I Oh, you were that? You were that I guy. was that person, okay. but I had my own porter, so they trusted that he was going to get me to the top, and he absolutely did, but we were really slow. I wanted to quit around 17.5 or 18.5, whenever that Stella Point Summit yeah. um, hits you, and it's like, oh my God, we're here. Oh, wait, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> you have thing. another thousand foot to You get to that go. first ridge, and we're like, oh, finally, and the... And the um, Again, the same. We started. They we got to our camp at fifteen, at about two in the afternoon, uh-huh. and they say, "Okay, we're gonna have some lunch." Yep. And then so about three, and say, "Get some sleep because mm-hmm. we're gonna try to, you know, we're gonna wake you up at eleven for you mm-hmm. to get your gear together, and then we're gonna go at midnight." Mm-hmm. So we get there, and first of all, that's when like it started to hit me. So you're not hungry, but you have to eat, and you're mm-hmm. trying to force down this food, and you can't have anything too. You know, iffy, you know, yep. some eating crackers and, you know, what a soup or whatever yeah. the thing they make. And then you're nervous, you know, yeah. you're like, we're here. We're finally going to do it. Right. So you're just, and it's still light out. So we're going, okay, now I got to sleep and it's the middle of the day and it just, it doesn't. So by the time they come around to get you, I had maybe one hour of sleep, one, two hour for the longest day of my life. You know, for the next seven, eight hours, we're going to be on the mountain and then we get back to the camp. We have another lunch, and then I got to walk back down to the twelve camp. That right. was our day, you know. So it's like, and then I slept for like twelve hours. They <laughs> should prepare you. By the way, it's going to be a thirty-six hour day. Yeah, you need to take your naps when you have them. You need to eat when you have it, and be prepared to hike for literally eighteen hours straight. <laughs> and that descent was just such a freaking nightmare. Yeah, um, I ended up in a stretcher. No. I ended up in a stretcher on the way down. So <sighs> I fi- when I finally got to the top, I was so elated, but so just broken down um, from the intensity of like the calf burn and my fr- fingers being frozen that I got all the way back down to base camp at 15.5. But I didn't know that that was your time once again to pack up all your stuff. Yeah. Eat your lunch. Guess what? We're hiking down to the bottom of the mountain right now. Did you go to, I- one, to the wave? Bottom, we, where did you... We, well, we stopped at 15.5 to pack up and then... But yeah, then, that's yes, we got rid we of our went, cold weather stuff. And we then went we could... all the way back down to 6,000 feet that night. Oh, the same one? The same the same okay. day. So from from base camp at 15.5 to summit to 19.3 to go back down from 19.3 to base camp again that same year up. So you went farther. And then we went from 15.5 all the way down to 6,000 and slept there that night. Oh, that's so nuts. Cause we it's went, totally nuts. Because we got back, yeah, we got back to around 15 to that camp after the summit, dropped all our, we ate, and then we got rid uh-huh. of like the super cold weather gear. And then we had about like... Four more hours to stay at around twelve thousand feet at the Harambo oh, hut. So God. we had another night, and then the next day was just walking to the gate. Yes, and so we had a, another day on the way down. But that would have saved me. So I that's crashed. huge. I crashed around thirteen. My knees gave out on me, and I haven't had. I w- grew up a competitive slalom skier just here in Southern California, and I bust my right knee three times in one ski season on gates, like caught my tip on a gate, um, and ended up with damaged meniscus. But for 15 years, I haven't had any effects of that injury other than when I sit down in a place for too long, my knee freezes up. Right. Well, coming back down on that descent, like it just totally blew out on me. Why? I and I said, believe- I can't physically get down to 6,000 feet tonight. Like, I want to stop and sleep here or whatever the next camp is, but that's it. And they said, well, we can't let you do that. There's people that are coming in. We need to get you off the mountain. It's not safe to sleep at this altitude, blah, blah, blah. And I'm what? like, get a you stretcher for me. You're going to stretch me down. I said, either get a helicopter or get a stretcher. Yeah. I'm getting off this mountain. And I, like, I'll pay. I'll do whatever I need to take care of the guys who were going to care. Like they physically, there were six people that had to stretcher me and carry me down because the descent was so rocky that there was no way they could like push me uh, in a, it was a rickshaw. I can't believe on the same summer day, they made you go all the way back down to 6,000. All the way. And we slept there at six and then walked out of the gate the next morning. What's the point of that? I I don't know. And the next morning walk was only like two hours. Yeah. Why couldn't you just, Exactly. Yeah, I got problems so, with this guy. This is not. So was, which trail were you on? We were on Lamosho. Yeah, but wait. And then we came out through the Muika Gate at the end of. You're setting trip. up your own tents, though. I mean, we at least had to yeah. like when you're staying in the huts, you had to make way for another group. There's only a certain amount of space in the huts. Oh yeah, no, we were. But always you could set tents. up your tents anywhere. Yeah, right. In theory, in theory, that doesn't make sense to me. 
it, it was what it was. And I, all I it. said to myself was, I'm really smart. Like through Kilimanjaro and through the extensive hiking I've done over the years, like I know when my body is speaking to me and saying like, it's done, but I also know when it's mental, which is climbing and hiking in general is 90% mental and 10% physical. So at that point, I felt like I'm either going to end up in crutches and have to have surgery on my knee or I'm going to get down the safe way. And I was fine enough to walk out of the gate myself that next morning, but I I just needed the rest. My body was totally, totally shot. Well, I felt like on the way back down, so we made it back down to about 12,000 feet after the summit, wherever that camp was, 11, 12,000 feet. And then we got there at about four or five o'clock. You have dinner and that's when everybody crashes for like 12 hours, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we get up the next day and then it's just... You know, because you, you have the walk mm-hmm. down and you're just like the air is getting thicker, you're getting stronger and, and then the trees are getting bigger and, and then you're in the rainforest and it's pretty, people ask me what the, I mean, aside from the snow at the top and the glaciers, one of the main, I mean, most interesting things I saw was the uh, the change in the terrain yes. as you, you start in rainforest and, and, and then the you go from shorter trees to bushes yep. to moonscape rock, you know, and then <laughs> back down again. And then all of a sudden you're back down and there's monkeys in the trees yep. and stuff. like that. I thought that was just really cool. But then so we got back down after that and we went to the hotel and said so one night in the hotel. And then I flew to um, Zanzibar, yep. which is that where that's where you went. I did. And that's when it really kind of I thought, OK, I'm just going to chill. My legs are tired. I'm going to you know, I had a it was a rough time. So I just went to just relax. And people, if people don't know, it's a Zanzibar is an island off the coast of Tanzania. And, mm-hmm. and it was probably what, a two, three hour flight. Yeah, in a two small and a plane. half hours or so. Yeah. And uh, I get there and in this hotel. And of course, it's all, I found it like on booking.com uh-huh. or something. It's all couples, you know, this romantic oh, no. beach, you know, and me, some guy, just like, I'm just like the hungover guy. I felt like I was hungover yeah. for really like two two, three straight days. And I realized, oh, I got some, some sickness up there. I was really, I didn't felt that way. And I did a dumb thing. I went scuba diving. I did the same. And I went there and after this, and on the second dive, my body went, you know, I think we're done with physical activity. Why don't you go lay around? So then it was just laying around a pool for like two days. I, um, I actually had to stay in Moshi for an extra night because I was so sick. I, I have really bad allergies and coming down the scree from the mountain with all the dust flying in your face. I have allergies too. I didn't notice that. I had a bandana on, on my nose, but even then it's like you spend 10 hours of that dust flying in your face and again it's another thing people really don't tell you right you should bring protection like a buff to really um keep all the dust and and the scree out of your face but i ended up with a really 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 bad sinus infection had to stay in moshi an extra night um because i missed my first flight to zanzibar by the time i finally got to zanzibar i think the way you articulated it's like a hangover that's exactly what it feels like you're numb you can't walk yeah, you're just shuffling you're just around like, this hotel you, you're like you can't with that guy? but yet like the the smart travel and adventure spirit in us both says oh we're gonna go scuba diving yeah. oh by the way we just came from nineteen thousand three hundred feet and now we're gonna go, and below, now we're gonna go below sea level idiot <laughs> totally total idiot so I didn't even make it down maybe more than 15, 20 feet. Oh, really? Like I I couldn't. My head was going to explode. And again, it's like, do I really want to continue to push myself and have an aneurysm? No. That's what I I rarely, because I've been diving for over 20 years and I just like, I I had heard about it and I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And and the second, the first dive was okay. But by the second dive, the middle of it, um, I was just like, I was. Because people don't realize when you're under there, it takes a lot out of you. You know, you yeah. still. But I was done, and I just I I had never come up early for a dive before, and that oh, was wow. the first time I came up early. I just kind of like, and also, if there was a lot of cool stuff to see down there was and, and that's that's what I was going to say. There was nothing. It was to disappointing. See. I was really disappointed in the reefs down there. Everything I, was destroyed because it's become a tourist destination, and there's no real diving to be had. At least I was in the Manemba Atoll. So it was okay. like two and a half hours. I stayed on the 
west northwestern side of Zanzibar of the island. So okay. I had to go up north over the tip of the island, travel down south in a boat for two and a half hours to get to the Menembo Toll where we dove. Oh God, I didn't go that far. And it was like I felt being on a boat all day long. Yeah. <laughs> on no. top of diving, I'm like, I'm done. I wasn't gonna do that. I that couldn't imagine no. sitting in a safari jeep no. for three days after climbing Kili. I think that's the worst combination I ever. Did, well I did the safari before the okay. climb. So I did like a week I did the I like camped in the Serengeti and stuff like yeah. that, but it was actually kind of good. I'm glad I did it that way because uh-huh. you're really just kind of riding in a bus and a Jeep all day. So yep. there's not a lot of physical activity. You're not out there doing stuff. And, right. and also gave me time to, uh, my time change to acclimate mm-hmm. and just kind of get my sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. So I was glad I burned that week yep. staring at animals yes. for, you know, that, <laughs> that was kind of nice. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to squeeze in. I think it did it all in two weeks. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, but the diving there was yeah. You're right. It was disappointing because I asked the uh, the dive master. I said, "How long have you been coming here?" I I'd heard good things, and I said, "Is it just me or is it?" He goes, "No, it's so overfished." Yeah, and uh, I hardly saw any fish, you know, because the locals have just completely overfished it. There's three places I went in. Well, I guess it's not all in 2015, but I've um, been to the Cayman Islands. Just came back from the Dominican Republic. And uh, the Indian Ocean off of Zanzibar, and all three to me were disappointing for dives. They just well, the Caribbean's just been beat to hell. I've been horrible. going there. I went to Cozumel like over twenty years ago. When it was my first dive. This was like twenty five years ago, and I went back about five years ago. And uh, I just I asked the guy. I said, I re- "Is it just me, or am I looking back through rose colored, you know, mm-hmm. ego?" I go, "I remember being blown away by the colors of the reef and stuff down here." Yeah. He goes, no, it's not you. It's completely the Gulf, especially, is really brutalized. And between yeah. the pollution and the, you know, the water temperature rising, it's because these are living things. It's right. a living organism. And water right. temperature goes up a degree, and it screws up everything. So I'm hoping um, when I finally get an opportunity to dive the barrier, I've done that. But again, that, that was, will not be as disappointing. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Oh crap! Oh, God, wow. this month, I was nine. Oh Lord. <laughs> You heard me. <laughs> yes, you were not. Yeah, you're damn right I was. I died very young. I was traveling. Um, oh, that's so cool. Is that a travel map of every place that you've been? Yeah, my mom gave me that for... Uh, I have something Christmas. similar, but it's a digital version of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I have a device called a DeLorme, and it's like my safety blanket. <laughs> What's have you, that? Have you heard? It's an InReach Explorer. No. It's a GPS, a worldwide no-drop zone GPS device that is um, GPS tracking every two minutes, and then it also serves as a two-way texting for people that you want to talk to when you're in um, no-drop zone or in drop zones for cellular. So, so it, it looks like a little radio yeah. It's not a walkie talkie. It's just a two way GPS spot, radio. Basically. Yeah, it's sort of a hotspot, but it's only uh, two way messaging. So, email or text. There's no cellular or phone or okay. internet capability. But um, they have a really cool feature that I'm obsessed with that is a map of the globe. And because it tracks you every two minutes wherever you go, it's I can look at it and it has the red pin marks right. of every place that I've been. So, at one point, I'm going to print it and maybe frame it. Is it? Notes. Is there like a monthly. Fee? Yeah, there okay. is a monthly fee. And it's if you go for the full package, it's quite expensive. It's 99 bucks a month. But it also includes like $500,000 travel evacuation, emergency SOS. Oh, okay. So to me, that's worthwhile. One of my hiking expeditions, I totally got lost. Okay, well, let's get, <laughs> let's, let's get to this. So it okay. sort of came in handy. Okay, now let's... So you had a rough time on Kilimanjaro, but you made yes, it. Yes, I made it, so, and it still was life-altering. Okay. Because I, I like to think that with every single one of my climbs or my big expeditions, I need about 72 hours to flip that switch or maybe a week, and there is an epiphany. And it's like, wow, I feel invincible. I can challenge myself yet again. What's next? What am I going to do? And Kilimanjaro totally kicked me off on this eat, pray, climb um, Which is your life, Instagram handle? Yes, that's my social media. Okay, um, I have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But eat, pray, climb. Eat, pray, climb. We'll have a link to it at yeah. the on the website. But also, so you get down from that. That was January of last year. That was uh, yeah, January. Oh yeah, New Year's. New Year's. Okay. So you get back. Yes. Well, you go from Zanzibar, yes, very Muslim, yes, to Paris after the bombing. So also. there's good timing. <laughs> 
Perfect timing. <laughs> wow. And then uh, you come back here. So as someone who you see, I grew up in Illinois where there were no mountains. Mm-hmm. So I'm still fascinated by mountains. And I think that's one of the reasons I like to hike mm-hmm. and climb and stuff like that. But you grew up around them. Were you yes. ever... A big hiker around here? I mean, did, did you grow I, I up I was. I grew up hiking a little bit. I mean, it wasn't all the time, but when I was getting ready for my Kilimanjaro expedition, I started going through my old family photos, and there's a picture of me. I was probably five or six years old, and I have a big, one of those orange backpacks with the big rails in it, the external rails yeah. like they used to have um, back in the 70s and 80s. And I was hiking, and then there was rock climbing or bouldering up at the top of Topanga. So in Woodland Hills, we have this ridge um, that lines the 118 freeway, and there's a bunch of like day hiking and bouldering that you can do. And I remember we used to do that, me and my brother with my dad all the time. So I I always had a love for the outdoors. Did I do it uh, regularly? No. So you never did the big mountain, uh, what's the one in California right up here that everybody does? I haven't done Whitney yet. Whitney, you haven't done Whitney? Me neither. No, I had my permits pulled for 2014 and prep for Killy. And there was a big snow or a rainstorm here, snowstorm up there, and I hadn't learned how to use crampons yet. And they okay. said, if you don't have crampons and an ice axe, don't go. I'm like, what the hell is that? I didn't know. <laughs> Flash forward, you know, six months later, I would figure out what that meant. But <laughs> okay, so you were, you came back and you, did you decide to take some like serious? Mountaineering class? I did. So um, I thankfully or unthankfully, (laughs) um, fortuitously got laid off from my job, which allowed me this freedom to sort of do whatever I wanted. (laughs) And I immediately said, I'm signing up for mountaineering school. Well, we also have that. <laughs> Who does when, that? When Who gets I, laid off? Yeah, like, no. we can take a vacation now and I sign up for mountaineering school. <laughs> See, when Turner let me go, and that's when I, I took off for three months around the world. That's yes. what, because I was sad while I was working there. If they ever, if it ever ends, I'm going to like take a big trip. So that's yeah. what I did. Thank you, Turner. There are. <laughs> we just need Turner to give us a little push. Yeah. So push in the right direction. Yes. So I, um, I signed up for mountaineering school. It was the very first thing I did because it was just something that I wanted to do. I know that I wanted to learn how to glacier climb and I know I knew I wanted to learn how to travel on a rope team. And what that means is you're roped into other team members because you're climbing on a glacier or ice or snowpack that has potential crevasse and avalanche danger. I'd learned all of this in school. had no idea what I was signing up for at the time. Um, and it requires the use of crampons, which are those big thing that spikes, spikes that you-, you put on the end of your, your bottom right. of your boots. Um, but in mountaineering school, I also didn't realize that it is 100% self-supported. And self-supported means I don't have a porter carrying my bags. I don't mm-hmm. have anybody cooking my meals or setting up my tent for me. Or carrying you down in a wheelbarrow. Or carrying me down in, in a rickshaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you do it all yourself. So I horribly overpacked, which has been a problem my entire life. It's no longer a problem. I'm thankful this last year really? has erased me of my overpacking issues. Only 15 GoPros did you take? <laughs> Only one. Okay. <laughs> this next time around. Um, but I had a 70-pound pack on my back. Right. That was way too heavy. And you're not a, a huge no. woman. No. <laughs> you're, you're small. Yes. Okay. Small, too small for a 70 pound pack. I didn't realize. Did they take one look at your pack and go, what do you. Well, they sort of laughed at me because I had my extra large (laughs) size. For people that go on expeditions, they know that like the North Face duffel is like, that's what everybody has. But I had the extra large size and not the large size that they recommend. So already I was overloaded. And then I had this big, um, I have uh, like, I'm a big fan of neon colors. So all my clothes are spandex and neon and really bright. Um, because I feel like that brings happiness and colorful. Um, Boy, the 80s were your decade. Well, you... <laughs> totally. Man. <laughs> Bringing it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this big neon pack, but I didn't realize it was only like a 30-liter pack, and I really needed a 90-liter backpack to carry stuff for a week for a mountaineering expedition. So like, I, I learned I-, I did everything wrong, everything possible <laughs> wrong. I brought... So I have a boyfriend who's a chef, and he's a very talented chef. But I also like making things from scratch. So I brought fresh quinoa and fresh basil and fresh okay. like, sun-dried tomatoes and mm. just all of these Soy things. Soy sauce. Why did I bring... I, I should, should you not, had... Um, 
a bag full of like coconut oil and a bag full of coconut flakes <laughs> and a bag full of various spices. And I figured that I was going to make all this gourmet food on the mountain. Yeah, you're going to have a, you know, shoot some Top Chef up there, maybe. Yes, exactly. Sure. Nobody yeah, okay. tells me, by the way, the only thing you can cook on a, um, on a mountain Beans. is boil in a bag. No, <laughs> yeah. literally boil in a bag meals. Okay. So all you have the capacity to do is boil water, pour the hot water in your bag, and then cook your food. So mm-hmm. I practically didn't eat a whole lot other than some <laughs> fresh rice. It's a lot that, of trail mix. That's a lot of trail it mix. It was the worst. On top of that, it rained and was miserable conditions. Well, where the did you go? Time. So I went up to the Cascades with um, an expedition company called Alpine Ascents. And everybody that you talk to in the mountaineering world and climbing world in the Seven Summit world says, Alpine Ascents is the best. They're the best. They're the best. I think they are the best. But when I was a novice learning mountaineering, I didn't feel like I was properly informed before I even came to the Cascades and um, set out to climb Mount Baker and summit. They assumed in you zero knew more visibility. Than you did. I just I didn't I didn't know anything, and I guess that's why they call it school. Yeah, you show up, you don't know what the textbook's going to say, but you figure it out. Well, how long was the training? Like months? So Weeks? no, that was only six days. Six days. It was six okay. days, but it was the beginning of the season for the Cascades, which is April um, and May. And the snow was so soft and so fresh that we were climbing 3,500 feet with these 70-pound packs on our back. It took us two days to climb to base camp, and we were in snow up to our knees. So it was fresh, and it's you're climbing some at some points on something called like Mustache Ridge. And Mustache Ridge, if you will, is – like a triangular peak that is so steep that if you take one step to the left or one step to the right, you're going to fall over and careen down the side of the mountain. So I have a pack trying to climb this mountain to base camp, going, of course, slower than everybody else because I'm overweight. Um, And this pack is leaning to my right because nobody told me how to properly stuff a pack. So it's going to be weighted with all the heavies at the bottom and all the softs at the top. Uh, So I I just was properly (laughs) – improperly – um, guided the entire yeah. time and nobody help, wanted to help me because they're like, this is not a supported expedition. Like, you carry your own shit and you take care of yourself. <laughs> and the guides go in front and you just follow them. Was this at the end of your school? This is like your graduation trip? No, this, this or is... Or just you do this separate from the go- school? Do you, so I actually had to go to school to even climb Mount Elbrus, which is the Russian and European's highest peak, which is one of the seven summits. Mount Elbrus. Mount Elbrus. When did you do that? I did that in July this year. In July of this year. So, so I had this to go prep to... This that. was prep for that. They said, unless you have that prerequisite or you've climbed on a rope team before, you can't climb Elbrus because Elbrus has dangers and you need to be on a rope mm-hmm. team. So I used it as prep. And I'm glad I did because I would have not have been prepared for Elbrus had I not gone to mountaineering school. Because you learn how to walk in crampons. You learn how to use your ice axe. You learn how to fall down a mountain and stop yourself from careening over the edge with your ice axe. So I'm glad I went. It was just very challenging and I wasn't quite prepared for how miserable and vulnerable I felt in that situation. <laughs> so how high was the the Cascades Mountain and how high is Elbrus? So Cascades was 10.5, I believe, but we didn't make it. Visibility was really, really shitty that day and a storm was coming in. So we had to turn around at the um, Sherman Crater. So it's a live, active. Mount Baker has, um, I think it's the second or third most active volcano in the United States. Oh. Um, and so this one was smoking and we stood on the ridge of it and that was 9,500 feet, but we had to turn around and come down or we would have potentially not gotten off the mountain at all. Oh, wow. Like alive, probably. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that was terrifying. It's the first time I've ever w- climbed on a glacier and heard avalanches actively crashing around me, which is exhilarating and thrilling and the most terrifying thing you'll ever experience. Hopping over these crevasses that could you know, just crash underneath your feet and down you go. Well, I've seen film of this stuff. <laughs> do you have to do the thing where they, they put a ladder over it? Yes. And then you do. And we you bring did, the ladder? We So one of the guides was carrying the stakes to create the ladder. Um, but they knew the mountain well enough that I guess we didn't need the full ladders like you use on Rainier okay. and on Everest. 
because those crevasses are so wide that you're not going to be able to cross them with just the stakes that we had with us at the time. Okay. Um, but so I had like I haven't done anything as extreme as Everest crevasses. Elbrus is eighteen thousand five hundred and forty-one feet. Okay, eighteen five four one. Yep. About a thousand or so less than uh, eight thousand higher. Kilimanjaro. Uh, a thousand less than Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that was just such an epic experience. The now, Russian when... people were really nice. Really. Yes. That is something that's never been said on this show. I can, I can tell you that. They were. The Russian people were. Hilarious people. Were uh, smiling quite all friendly. the time. <laughs> quite friendly. Um, so you fly into St. Petersburg? So we flew into St. Petersburg. I again went with Alpine Ascents. And um, there's a, a expedition leader named Vern Tejas, who was our guide. And that's the only reason I signed up for that trip. He's climbed every single seven summit ten times over. No, oh, God. He's like, he's a beast for a 50 year old like not an ounce of body fat like the most in shape human being ever and so funny and engaging and just like a pro i learned more from him in all of my travels than i have um than i than i did it in, in mountaineering school but um so you fly into st petersburg you tour around you see the sites um the hermitage museum all that beautiful stuff i love st petersburg i think it's such an under i still haven't been uh it's <clears throat> it's such an underrated city. Um, if you have a chance to go, you should make an X on your list. Yeah, it's I was just... close. I was just in uh, in uh, Estonia and okay. uh, in Helsinki, and there's a way you can get in, but you need you can go there for like seven two hours on uh -huh. a cruise okay. with a visa. Otherwise, you need a visa, a visa. and the whole thing. Yep. So I didn't yep. bother this time. I want to give it like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. But I have heard that it's like Moscow and St. Petersburg just amazing are like. That's it's almost like saying New York isn't really America. It's like yeah. an island outside of America. Yep. Moscow and St. Petersburg are kind of like that. They're the most international cities. Yes. And stuff. It's not like going to hardcore Russia. No, it's not. Yeah. Going where we went to climb the mountain is going to hardcore Russia. We we're mm -hmm. on the Georgian border. Oh, okay. And there were military signs that said, do not enter, do not pass. What did we do? Of course. Enter and pass. You <laughs> yes. entered and passed. It's like we have a mountain to climb. We have to. So how, how long was that climb? So the climb itself is a summit, just like Kilimanjaro, where you um, start at 11 p.m. at night and you're at the top by 6 a.m. Yeah, but how many days? Did, what, what level so, do you start your hike? Well, the, the expedition itself is six days. Six days. But okay. it's different from Kilimanjaro because you're not climbing from point A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E and forward. You make base camp. Um, down in Shiget, which is this beautiful little ski resort town. Um, at the base of the mountain, you're there in a hotel for three days, and you do acclimatization hikes each day, but you're coming back to your hotel. Yeah. And then day four, you move up to what's called the barrels, and those are those sort of iconic red, white, and blue painted oil steel drums that just live on top of the mountain around, I think that's around 12,500 feet, and that's your base camp for the next three nights. And you, again, do acclimatization hikes up to about 15.5 each day. You learn how to glacier travel, rope team travel, walk on ice. Um, and then on night or the night five that leads into day six is your summit night. And it starts, you know, in the wee hours of the morning and everybody's nervous and excited and you're climbing on snow just like you do in Killy in the pitch black darkness. You have no idea what's in front of you, what's to the side of you. Um, it's a little scary. But then when you get that first glimpse of the morning sunrise coming up, it's just it's remarkable. So what's the uh, hardest part about? Uh, that you find about being on a rope with somebody else? Somebody walking too fast or too slow. You're a team. And generally you have like three or four people on your rope team with you. There's always a guide in front, somebody who's experienced, and then two or three other people. And um, my rope team going to and from in um, in Baker during mountaineering school was fantastic because we all just seemed to sort of walk at the same pace. My 
um, expedition guide was sort of the same build as me and almost had the same length legs as I did. So our strides were sort of hand in hand. But when you have somebody in, you know, mountaineering is a very male dominated, yeah. somebody six, like six, six guy, guy and I'm giant like, strides. I'm five, seven, I'm sort of tall, but I'm not that tall. <laughs> yeah. And there's these big strides. You can't like, it, it's very awkward to step in somebody else's tracks. And that's what you're supposed to do when you're on snow and ice. You have to step in somebody else's tracks because it's going to be easier than trying to make your own new track. It just mm-hmm. t- exerts more energy. Oh, so okay. that that's sort of like the hardest um I got stuck on a rope team once with this dude who was like 6'6", six, six, and he walked really, really, really slow, but then would change his stride and walk really, really, really fast and just wasn't consistent at all. So that was sort of hard to keep up with because then your rope gets tangled or you're stepping on it and then you fall and, you know, it's just not good. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what's the hardest part about I've never used crampons. Mm-hmm. What's the toughest thing to get used to with putting those? them on? Oh, really? <laughs> Literally strapping them onto your boots is the hardest task. Why? Um, just the way they're they're engineered, they're just awkward, and the way you have to position them to clamp them onto your boots, and all boots are different, and then rope the tie the rope around your ankle a couple times. I don't know, just taking them on and off is challenging, and they're also spiky, and they can cut you, and a lot of people cut themselves while they're in the process of taking them on and off. So that's the hardest part. Walking in them is not hard at all. It's really not. It just takes a little getting used to. So have you done those? Uh- Waterfall, those ice waterfalls and going up like ice climbing. That's that what I thought mountaineering school was. Oh, okay. <laughs> I literally That's signed up for mountaineering animal. school thinking we are going to ice waterfalls and I am going to climb like I'm rock climbing an ice face. Right. Come to find out. Oh, we're just walking. Ma- no, mountaineering school is literally <laughs> hiking on snow. Yeah. With crampons. And you might get to ice and you might have avalanches around. So are you gonna are you gonna take that class, the ice waterfall? Thing? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. I, I tried to See, do it. See the heights when... thing would be that, that would get me. That I tried to me. do it when I was in New York um this fall because there's somewhere I think up around Breakneck Ridge or oh, okay. some park up there that has a nice waterfall. But yes, that is something that's on the list. Okay. <laughs> so going but you you made it. No, did any sickness, any altitude sickness up there? In On Elbrus, yeah. I, well, I didn't. Maybe it is altitude sickness. I'm not sure. I had a stomach issue around 17,000 feet and started crying because my team was not letting me in by team. I mean, my expedition leader, Vern, who I love and adore and is the best <laughs> pro in the world. But, um, I had a TMI diarrhea attack on the mountain at 17,000 feet because I stupidly ate a Snickers bar and I'm dairy sensitive. So the chocolate alone just tore up my stomach. And all I wanted to do was poop into my blue bag. And as disgusting as that sounds, like that's what you have to do when you're on a mountain. You have these blue bags and you poop into them and your ass is hanging out in front of all of the other climbing teams that are coming up. <laughs> you're on a volcano, so it's a it's a cone. Right. You're like exposed. There's no hiding. There's no rocks. It's literally just snow. So I just was wanting to take a break to do that, to get done with my business. And he yells at me and says put your fucking gear back on and start walking up that goddamn mountain or I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to send you home. And I just started crying and my goggles fogged up and I couldn't even think straight, but I'm not a quitter. And if somebody tells me like, you better do this because I'm the expert and I'm the one who's in charge, like get your ass up that mountain. I packed my stuff up as quickly as possible and I didn't complain or... So you just held it or just put a diaper on? I... I held it as best as I could and continued to walk and made it to the summit and started crying. I hope you were last in line. (laughs) That's all I hope. It was just, it was a very awkward experience, but this is the kind of stuff you have to deal with when you're on a mountain. And well, you're um, bonded now with your team forever. Yes, I am bonded. (laughs) And so are the, the Russian climbers that could see my ass hanging out bare. Yeah. On the side of the mountain. Let's hope they didn't have cameras. Going <laughs> the... There might be. One day I was wearing a pair of bright, um, bright spandex that said Hollywood, and it has um, an image of the Hollywood Hills. And there was a Japanese climbing team that saw my pants, and they're like Hollywood, Hollywood, and started taking pictures like the paparazzi. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Russia, Russia was just Russia was a great experience. Wow, I would recommend if anybody has a desire to do a glacier climb. It's just it's such a a remarkable trip. Well, I saw from your photos you also did um, Machu Picchu, which yes. I've done. Yeah, but I, uh, I'm full disclosure. I didn't do the Inca Trail. I took the train up. And uh, cheated on that one. I took the train to, was it Aguas Calientes? Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, I'm a cheater too. That's okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to top me on that one. No, I tried to sign up for Inca Trail, but way too late. Me too. I, I was way late and yeah. it was rainy season too. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, eh, I'll just. They're like, no, I paid for a trip and they said there's no permits left. So sorry, we're going to refund you your money. So I decided to take myself. I hopped on a plane and I just figured out that country and navigated myself and then found my way and found <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> found a permit that you're supposed to have um, that I did not to get to the top of Wayne Apichu. Oh, is that the one that's next to it? Wayne Apichu is that peak, that iconic peak that's in the background of everybody's photo. Okay, I did that. Machu Picchu. Yeah. Yeah, I did that the day before. We okay. actually went to the thing. So that was a that was a good hike. Yeah, it's I mean a 30-minute hike. Yeah, it was fun. It's it's much easier than I thought it was going to be given the stories that I've heard from people that have been there before me. The biggest <laughs> problems I had on that one was you get stuck behind someone who's, you know, some not Slow. in shape to do it yeah. and then you're just and then the trail gets completely backed up and you yep. But they get scared and they can't pass cross over this rock and you're yeah. like, just move. Thankfully, it was um, it was New Year's Eve day again because I like to do a climb on New Year's Eve. I'm getting or a that. hike, um, and it was quite empty. I mean, I think maybe there were 200 people up there out of the 400 permits that they issue per day. Um, and there, uh, I mean, Peru's a- another just amazing, amazing country, amazing people. I never once felt as a solo female traveler that I was in any danger. Just hop in a taxi, travel for two and a half hours to the next city and see the ruins. Um, but there was, uh, there was a um, guy who helped me propose to his girlfriend on Wayne Picchu on New Year's Eve day. And it was the cutest thing ever. He what, did had- you have to hold the camera? I did you no. say I'm in the business? Give me that camera. I, I have 15 I, GoPros me, I with me. To. Any anybody that ever asks me to take a photo, they always like repay the favor. But I take like <laughs> 25 photos because I'm like, I need the right framing. I need it right. to be good for you. But he um he had a flag that was pre-printed and it was of them on another hike and he um held the flag had me hold the flag out and it said, Will you marry me? And it was the Aww. cutest thing ever. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. So I don't know. Are you married? You're not. You're uh, married. No, divorced. Okay. Oh, I'm. So, well, I'm not. That's sorry. good. That's, sounds like you're making the most of your time. Let's just say. Yes. But you know, it's like. Uh, after you've been to these mountains, I think that if somebody proposes to you, that's going to have to be. They're going to have to top that. How do you? You have to do it at the top of some mountain, right? You can't, I, I know, right? Well, can't my, do it in like you know, <laughs> in an outburger. You my gotta, next expedition is going to be on uh, the Vincent Massif in Antarctica. So if somebody wants to propose to me there, that's wow. where it should happen. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about this because uh, that was going to be your next thing. What's what's next for you? Because yeah. so the seven. Yes. What uh, so North America would that be McKinley? So North, North America is McKinley Denali. Yeah, and I'm gonna save that one probably for last because I feel like it's homecoming. Okay, um, and we did Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is Africa. Well, it's Everest. Elbrus but... is is Europe. Um, Everest is Asia. Do you want to do Everest? I so I, I, I want to go to the base camp. I, I want to do, do that. Yes, I'm absolutely going to do base camp, and it, that's going to be my primer to say: yes. Can I look at that mountain? Do I think I can do it? Oh, and I one, know like, my answer. Who's going to give me the sixty-five thousand dollars? That's to the do other it? part. That's the other part. <laughs> a, you can lose your life, but yes. B, it's very dangerous. You would need a sponsor of some sort. Yes, it's dangerous. Or, and it's very it's expensive. expensive, and it's two and a half months. So yeah, you, it's a you commitment. Can't just really take off from work for two and a half months. And, and but I've had a uh, number of friends, and many of whom have been on the show, have done the uh, the base camp, which yes. sounds cool. Yeah, I'll that absolutely I do. do base camp. Maybe probably like either next year or the year after, maybe 2018. What is um, in South America? It's in Chile somewhere? South America is Aconcagua. And Aconcagua is another three and a half week expedition. That's so Patagonia? it's long. It's Patagonia. And it is um, 22,000 feet Sheesh. or something around there. It's uh, it's just higher than Denali. And Denali, I want to say, sits at 21,000. Yeah. Um, and that is the least appealing to me, although I want to do it because I want to do the Seven Summit Circuit. 
it's really windy and dusty and there's a lot of scree and lava just like there is on Kilimanjaro. And to me, that was the least appealing part of climbing. I love climbing on snow and ice. You do? I love it. Love, love, love it. There's nothing more pristine and beautiful. And cold. And cold. (laughs) And cold. (laughs) Really, Miami. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I bring on the snow. Um, So how are you going to make this... Uh, Antarctica thing work. This is this seems like a difficult thing to piece together. It's and it's expensive not, it's too. Not, by uh, the way, it's that's expensive. one of the reasons I haven't been to Antarctica. That's my last yes. continent I haven't been to. It's my last continent too. I did all six continents in 2015, and I wanted to do Antarctica as my next. Yeah, it's a I, tough will, one. I will. I um, will. It's tricky to get to. It's not. It's, it's not very tricky easy. to get to. You fly to Ushaya, and then you fly to a, a military base at the tip of the peninsula, and then you fly to another military base, and then you fly yet again to your final base camp. Right. But uh, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt that you're going to get there, but I mean, how far along on the planning have you gotten? I mean, um, well, I'm planning to do it December 2017, so... Oh, okay. All of my training now, like I'm doing ski mountaineering school in April of this year. Ski mountaineering. Ski mountaineering. So you already know how to ski. You're a good skier. Yes. See, I'm not a good enough skier. I'm an okay skier, but to go that far and then go down those serious... Yeah, that's what I want to do. Bowls? Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but that's training for Antarctica. You don't ski in Antarctica, but... Right. Um, and Antarctica is only 16,005. It's a short oh, summit. It's I getting... Mean, that's nothing now. It's getting there more, <laughs> yes. seems to be the... Yeah. It's getting there in the fuel that makes the trip so expensive. So maybe there's a private charter that wants to take me there. Anybody listening? Need some sponsors? <laughs> or sponsors, yes. Well, being as someone in the reality show business, I mean, uh, do you have a plan to do something with this, like shoot a show or, or pitch something that There's, you're doing? Uh, there are quite a few things and projects in the works and things that I've developed and production companies that have approached me. I'm not a... Um, on-camera talent, if you will. I've always been a producer, so it's very hard Well, for you me are in the right off. place, my friend, because I, um, <laughs> as a veteran of the TBS uh, movie Extra, <clears throat> uh, so you don't want to, would you, but it's, you could produce not, something No, it's like not that. that I don't want to. It's just that I've always had an apprehension to being in front of the camera. Social media has sort of changed that because it's like you are the star of your own social media account, generally right. speaking. So I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I've just always shied away from it because I do still work in this industry and I don't want anybody to think that my day job is less important than my climbing pursuits. So if something happens at some point, I would love to do it, but it just hasn't been um, a priority at this point. Well, there's also something of it, and then this is the as I pitch travel shows and things like that. There's there's the side of me that goes, you know, once you once it becomes your line of work, then it's a little less fun than it was. You did it because you loved it. Yes. You know, it's like yeah, stand up almost went that way for me. Once I left my day job, right. and then I had to was paying my rent with it. Then you got to take gigs you don't really want to do. You got to do things that, and it's like, well, it's right. it's still fun, but it's not as fun when I was just doing it for the love of doing it. Yeah, you know. And travel is so important to me that I don't mm-hmm. want to make it as much as I do this. And I did, I love talking about it and stuff, and right. even selling it. There's still that part of me and goes, well, if I if I'm in this beautiful place, can I just enjoy it rather than yes. thinking like. Oh, I got to shoot a photo of this. I got to blog about this. I got to do, you know, just like, See, can I, I think, just love I think it? Can I, I just enjoy yeah, it? Yeah, can't you? If I could do it for a living and make a really good living doing it, I absolutely would do it in a heartbeat. Well, sure. I do enjoy it that much. And I think I can compartmentalize the joy versus the work. And and really, I mean, there's a dedication and thought that has to go into, you know, anything that you produce. But um, I have been shooting a documentary since I started traveling or traveling training for Kilimanjaro obviously I take my GoPros and my iPhone with me everywhere so my goal is to ultimately turn it into my seven summit story and I think that it's been a um it's been a journey that I never really expected an emotional one an introspective one something that truly like shapes your life um so for me it's important that I do that for me. It's not necessarily for anybody else, but if there's people who think that they can be inspired by it, then that's like the ultimate end goal. And I think Eat, Pray, Climb in the future will turn into something that's a little bit more um, philanthropic and humanitarian. You know, I would love to take um, 
inner city kids, women, battered, abused um, women up on climbs, on hikes, because there's so much that you can learn from, from the mountains and from just that clarity of peace and purpose and, and simplicity. It's like all you're thinking about is putting one foot in front of the other. That's how simple life is. It what, doesn't need to be so complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you do stuff like this and anything kind of this physical and then you're out, it does get you back into nature. Mm-hmm. And you realize what's important. Oh, I need food. Mm-hmm. I need shelter. Mm-hmm. I need like warmth. I yep. need that kind of thing. And uh, it simplifies things. Yes. And so we can get caught up in a lot of little things, but nobody gives a shit on the mountain. No. The mountain will tell you what's important. Exactly. And that's really what matters. So when you have that, you know, sort of negative chatter or getting frustrated about, you know, politics at work or just simple little things that can frustrate you, it's um, a good headspace to go back to to think like life is really much, much, much simpler than it needs, um, much easier than it, it uh, it's much easier Period. Period. Really. <laughs> well, where can people uh, follow you? You pray love, I think, is on you everything. You pray climb. You pray climb. Oh, gee, I'm sorry. I, That's okay. I just did the... Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm sure everybody does that. But, but by the way, I never read that book. Um, I didn't until I got back from... I was on the plane Bali. coming home. I was in Ubud and everybody had it. They hated it. The locals I was, hated I, it. Well, I was on the plane coming home from Russia and that's the first time I read it. I, I choose to not read books that are going to alter my mindset when I go on a mountain. So it's like I didn't read Into Thin Ice. Uh, Into Thin, thin Air? Into Thin Aha, Air. You did it too. I did I, it too. And I didn't read Into Thin I Air. I did. That's why I, I don't want to go. I started and then I'm like there's – too many like i started reading it in mountaineering school when i was on the glacier and there were avalanches around us i'm like i don't want to freak myself out and the same thing with eat pray love i obviously knew it was a movie julia roberts made a lot of money off that didn't see it but i didn't see it until i came home from russia i'm like oh wow this is really applicable to the story and the journey that i've sort of been on through my divorce and then using kilimanjaro for my you know personal um independence uh, message to myself and, and the world. It's like, I, I can do this and I can do really awesome things and, um, you know, bless and release. So it's eat, bless and release. <laughs> yeah. It's eat, pray, climb. Yes. On Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Okay. And there's a Facebook page or there is, is a Facebook page too. Yeah. Okay. We'll link it to all that stuff. Yes. And, uh, so finally before you go, I know you got to get on your red eye to go party in Miami. <laughs> Um, what do you think all this has taught you? You say it's a lot about growth and, and mm-hmm. you, it's helped you, you know, in your journey, in your process. What do you, what do you think it's taught you all this travel and, and seeing other things and climbing these mountains? Oh, wow. Tr- travel in general is, it opens your eyes to obviously other people, other cultures, other places and how good we do have it in America and how much I love being an American. I love living here. I think that when you hit every continent and there are so many places that are mini versions of places that we have here in the States, like that's a little eye-opening too because there's so much in our own backyard that we should really take the time to go out and explore and appreciate. Um, But also how much excess we have in this country. And that to me is the most disgusting thing. Like I certainly went through my twenties buying $800 pairs of shoes and fancy handbags. Cause it's like, you're in Hollywood and you're part of the industry. Like that stuff doesn't matter. Materialism doesn't matter. Life is about experiences and adventures. And I've chosen to shift my life from that microcosm of material, Material possessions mean something to no. I want to experience life, and I want to have a wealth of friendships and experiences and interactions with people around the globe. And I, I think to to even be able to look at my Facebook page and the people that I've met in my travels and the people that I'll keep in touch with, like that's that's so much more valuable to me. Plus, when you have less stuff, you can take a smaller backpack. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> if the, we've learned the anything. Moment. I have no, I have no baggage issues anymore. <laughs> yeah. Baggage it's be all gone. carry on. It's all carry on now. <laughs> baggage be gone. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. I know you're busy yeah. and you you, you, you got to go to the airport me. today. So, um, 
It was a pleasure meeting you. Likewise. And uh, let me know when you're uh, taking your next hike, because I'm ready to do another one. I don't know if I'm ready to do the full on. Well, Antarctica it is. <laughs> okay. I do want to go there. I do want to go there. Yes. If everybody needs to go to Antarctica, this is the way okay. to do it. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can work a GoPro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.